0: Welcome back to the show. In this episode, I chat with the lovely Tina Tower, who is the founder of Begin Bright. Now, this is a pretty cool story. You see, her business started as a small suburban tutoring center and grew into a licensed program with 35 franchises that employed 120 people. Now, eventually, Tina sold her business to an international education company in 2016, and she's going to share some of the uh, insights and detail around that deal. But what I found really impressive is that Tina launched all of this at the ripe old age of 20. It actually made her Australia's youngest female franchisee. And somehow at the age of 24, she even managed to have kids You know, along this journey. Now, Tina kindly shares some of the ups and downs of this journey, including some real insights into growing and selling a business. And she talks really candidly about her own out and some of the things she'd do differently. Honestly, I just found Tina to be such a lovely person and I really enjoyed chatting with her. I hope you enjoy her story too. This is Tina Tower. G'day, Tina. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Simon.
0: <laughs> I am really excited to have you on today. Um, I always, uh, we have guests from all over the world on this show, and but I, I must admit I do love having some homegrown talent coming know, on and sharing right? their story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It's so good.
0: No, an absolute pleasure. You know, this show is obviously Buy, Build, Sell. We we share the stories of entrepreneurs who have, you know, been on that journey and, and bought and done something and often sold. And um, I, when I was reading about you, Tina, I, I loved seeing that you'd started a business and you'd built it and then you've gone through an exit. So it's so exciting to hear someone who's gone through that kind of full journey.
1: Yeah, well, I'm going, I've never, bought a business I've started several and sold three and built a lot but I've never bought one
0: yeah yeah well there you go I mean we're, I, I always look at the build phase of that cycle you yeah know, startups are just the very beginning of build right Yes. <laughs> yeah so really interesting and and something else I'm really keen to hear a bit more about is your you took some time and traveled with your family which which you know those who've heard me before know that I did the same with mine and So I'm always fascinated with that because it's, um, you know, it was such a a transformational journey for us. Isn't it? Yeah.
1: I'm really worried life's like all downhill from there.
0: (laughs) I just don't think it can ever be topped. Yeah. And yet, you know, I, I already have a vibe with you, Tina, that I know you always have exciting adventures around the corner. So, you know, it's, um, yeah. So, look, do, do, perhaps just for the listeners, maybe you could kick off and just give us a little bit of your background and, you know, who Tina Tower is.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Um, so, I have been a business owner for like my whole adult life. I started my first one when I was 20. Um, so, I was in my second year of uni trying to pay my way through and I, I thought, you know, what an easy way to make money, I'll start a business. (laughs) 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 Uh, Poor sweet young, naive Tina. Um, But I did and I, I fell in love with business very quickly. So by the time I finished my teaching degree two years later, there was no way I was going into the classroom. I completely loved the game of business. So I did that. And then I had babies. I did everything quite early. I started the business at 20, got married at 21, had my first baby at 24. And then everything that I had done with that first four years of the business by that stage, like no longer worked. I couldn't work seven days a week all day. Like I had, you know, like most early twenties, I had so much energy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I was fine <laughs> to work all day, every day, but now I had a human that needed me. Um, so, I switched and started licensing the programs, the curriculum that I'd written in my uh, tutoring centre. And then a couple of years after that, a lot of people were asking me for business advice because I had ran three tutoring centres myself. And so, we, we transferred that to a franchise system. And so, I was Australia's youngest ever female uh, franchisor at 27, wow. which was... <laughs> you know, exciting and also I know why um, franchising is pretty much filled with like white dudes in their sixties. So it's it's a hard <laughs> game to play. But what it did was, I thought after franchising and growing a franchise system, everything is easy. Everything is easier than yes. that. So my goal with that was to build to hundred locations and global domination. And I was going head down, bum up for that. And I got to 35 locations and, and basically woke up one day and just went, oh my gosh, this dream I've created is a nightmare. Like I hated my day to day. I had so many people problems. It's so litigious. It's just, it's a joy sucker. Um, and so I sold it. So I sold that business in 2016 and then signed on to an earn out, which what sweet hell an earnout is <laughs> Um, and so when I finished that I didn't know who I was going to be when I grew up and so that's how our trip came about was I really wanted to reconnect with my husband and my sons because I had been into a deep dark hole at the end of the business Um, and so we sold all our stuff our house our cars our furniture and we went to travel around the world and we had no idea when we were going to be back we ended up uh, going for 10 months and went to 28 different countries and yeah, then I kind of tripped and fell into the world of online courses, and then kind of just like nailed that. So that's me in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, gosh, so much to unpack. With with I know you put you a seventeen-year career year.
1: into like yeah. here's my minute.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, that is really cool. Okay, so so. Take me back, I mean, you know, starting your first business at 20 and brilliantly naive. I mean, oh, I think most people who a start a business at first, were, were yeah, like if you're not naive, I mean, quite frankly, sometimes I've uh, looked at things like the Fair Work Act even and things like that and gone, anybody who actually reads some of this stuff would never start a business. You know, there's, there's the complications in business are, are huge. So, so a little naivety is uh, probably a good thing. Talk me through a little bit about, you, you know, you started the business tutoring and stuff like that. So this was Begin Bright? Yes. So t- talk us through that a little bit. Like what, what was the business about and, um, yeah, how did you get it all started?
1: Yeah, so the first one was called Reach Education and that was the one that I ran for four years, which was our tutoring centre and a retail toy store because I got all excited about tutoring but I wanted a retail space. And then I found this space that was perfect um, on a strip mall that I knew would be great, but it was too expensive. So I'm going, well, there's no way I can do enough tutoring to cover the rent. But by that stage, I kind of got all excited about the amazing location. (laughs) So instead of saying no to the location, thought about how I could cover the rent, which was, you know, a stupid thing (laughs) to do, but I was excited. And so that's where the educational toys came in, which was supposed to supplement what I was doing in the tutoring centers. But the toy store actually grew bigger than what the tutoring did for the first couple of years. So I had the retail store going seven days a week, and then we'd tutor in the afternoons. And then on weekends, we'd run like craft and science birthday parties. Uh, So it was like a, it was a beautiful place. Like it was, it was just wonderful. Like every wall, I had a blue wall, a red wall, a yellow wall, a green wall. Like there was things hanging from the ceiling and trains going around. It was just, it was fun. It was really, really fun, but didn't make much money. And so I worked a lot <laughs> for the dollars, but you know, it's retail is a, is a hard game. You either make it really, really well, um, or you kind of struggle along every week. Um, uh, and so, you know, we were always covering costs. We were always profitable, but it was never going to be something that was going to make me wealth kind of thing. Uh, So that's why I started looking at scaling. So when I had my sons and I had to start putting more staff in because I couldn't cover so much, I was like, how can I scale that? So that's when I started licensing my program. Um, And that was, that was good. Really good. I should have stuck with that (laughs) instead of going (laughs) bigger because, you know, we're really told a lot, through business, like how do you level up? How do you scale? How do you get to that next level? Yeah. How do you build it? And one thing that I learned very slowly was bigger isn't always better. And that was that was probably one of the most valuable lessons that I learned was when I had the franchise system and you would meet people and, you know, I was, you know, under 30 and they go and, and, you know, but you're a franchisee? No, I'm the franchisor. What, you run the franchise? Yes. And how many locations do you have? 20. What? what? That's amazing. You know, like people would be really taken aback with the amazing, while inside I'm like, it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> like, yeah. It looks so good on the outside, but the pressure and responsibility, and um, oh, it's, 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 it was heavy. It was a really heavy business.
0: And so how old were you at this point?
1: Uh, so I was 27 when I started franchising. Yeah. And 33 when I sold.
0: Yeah, wow. 27. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I mean, I look back and I was sort of in corporate at the time, but even then, I mean, the thought of having all of that on your plate, you know, I think it's, in some ways, I think it's, corporate has its challenges, don't get me wrong, but it's, I think it's different when you're a business owner and it's all on you. Yeah. You know, it's one of the, the, kind of analogies we kick around a lot is that if you haven't had a few sleepless nights wondering whether your business would make it or not, you probably haven't been in business.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was, yeah, so I was 27. I had a three-year-old and a two-year-old and yeah, we got to 35 locations. We had 120 staff across the brand. So it was, yeah, a lot of people relying on little Omi me
0: <laughs> to do yeah. things
1: um, and trying to keep everyone happy. I was a chronic people-pleaser. Like I think that franchising was brilliant in my life because it enabled me to get over people-pleasing that takes a lot of women until their late 40s, 50s to get over. You know, like women as they age start to give less, um, I don't know if we're swearing in this, but less Fs.
0: You're allowed to, it's fine. (laughs) Okay, okay, you give
1: less fucks as you get older. But I feel like I had that indoctrination early and I couldn't do the work that I do now if I hadn't had gone through that. So everything kind of prepares you for the next step, which is nice
0: yeah that's really interesting. and And you know often I've, I've had clients who talk to me about the idea of franchising and you know just the legislation and everything around franchising is so um, strict and, and onerous.
1: Super. Yeah. I mean, one of the people that I spoke to most in my life in my last three years of business was my lawyer.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Hopefully they were fun to be with. Oh, she was
1: fabulous. I had a fabulous, <laughs> fabulous yeah. lawyer. She was really, really lovely. But I'm like, I can't believe how, like even just entering into a franchise agreement, the amount of disclosure that needs to happen, the amount of paperwork, it's like the yellow pages every time. And like, <laughs> it's so much of my life became about contracts, lease negotiation, franchise agreement negotiation. It was just like, that's not fun. That's not what the yeah. primary teacher in me was wanted.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was there a point in your journey there, you know, over those few years, was there a point where you, did it dawn on you or anything like that where you sort sort of went, I'm actually not doing the stuff I enjoy doing anymore? Yeah.
1: Yeah, completely. I loved it up until about, up until about 20 locations, which is still a lot of locations, but I loved it up until about then. I could, I felt like I had a handle on everything. Until then, after that, it kind of started getting away, away from me. I couldn't do, I love teaching kids to read. Like that was one of my favorite things. And in, what were we, about three years into the franchise and we'd sold our company owned locations so that I could just focus on running the franchise, uh, which was one of the biggest mistakes that I did. Because then I I lost touch with – so it worked from a financial point of view, from a logistics organisational point of view, but I lost touch with – like why I was doing what I was doing um, and so then we moved our head office back on top of a tutoring centre so that I could hear people arriving every day and I could hear the kids and I could hear the parents and then we started flying again so there were yeah, wow. definitely points where like I couldn't sit there like, combing over legal agreements and different things going on and I couldn't remember why, why I was doing what I was doing. So I needed that there. Um, and I've been really aware of that as I've built subsequent businesses as well. So yeah, there was that point in that. And then really the point for me where I knew we were going to sell was when we went, we went on an overseas family holiday, which, you know, we'd always done since our boys were little, we've gone overseas every year with them. And I was going on our normal holiday and, and one of our franchisees who was really struggling at the time, um, I'd put a picture on social media when I was sitting there with my family and we were drinking cocktails. And she was like, nice to see where my money is all Going to while I'm here slaving my oh. guts out, you're out there on the other side of the world just drinking my profits, and I was like, "Oh my oh. god!" Oh. Like franchising's nasty.
0: Yeah. Nasty. Well, that I mean that is nasty. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah.
1: So at that point was really when I went. You know what. Everyone held me responsible for their results, um, and it, it, that was really the point for me where it was like, like that was a little thing, but it was like the camel that the, what is it the straw that broke the camel's back? That, the straw yeah, that, yeah, that was the yeah, one yeah. where I was like, oh, this is only going to get worse. I don't want to play this game. I've I've picked the wrong yeah.
0: game. <laughs> Isn't that interesting though? Because you know, I think I like I'm sure you do as well. Like, I know and deal with a lot of business owners and. You know, I find a lot of business owners just understand this concept of you're responsible for your own life and own outcomes. Do, do you find that, that that's a, is there a bit of a different mentality in franchising? 100%, yes.
1: Um, wow. I mean what's super ironic to me now is I run a high-level like group coaching mastermind and a lot of them are actually paying me more monthly than my franchise fees were. No one for a second holds me responsible for their results. They're getting the advice. They're taking that. They're implementing that. No one ever would say to me, you said this and I, like, like expecting it by osmosis, like it just doesn't happen. But franchising is people that buy a franchise are essentially buying they can't do business by themselves or they don't want to do business by themselves. Yes. So they're shortcutting the success. And there's this really weird thing that happens when people think they're they're buying their success. And by buying the system that it's somehow guaranteed with that. Um, but you're shortcutting it. You've definitely got the proven system and, and all of the different things and you can harness the group to to market and all of that sort of thing. But it's the same as every other business. You got you got to work it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's a really interesting interesting mentality. I think franchising psychology is very interesting.
0: Yeah. And 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 like I'm interested because, you know, you were young and you're going into this business. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I, I, I wonder, you get led down this sort of path of, okay, well, franchising is the right model and you're getting, no doubt you're getting advice around all this sort of stuff. There's an element of franchising. So I wonder how much there's this sort of expectation, probably on yourself, you talked about your own transformation. So you're coming into it a bit bit green, a bit young, a bit, you know, this, this model kind of forces its expectations almost on you. And does it almost then start to attract more people who just have those same expectations?
1: Yeah, I don't I think it takes a certain sort of person to, so everyone, when I went to franchise conventions, every franchisor dealt with the same thing. Yeah. It was all the same. Um, and I remember I, I actually taught a guy's kids who was a very successful franchisor. So when I decided to go into franchising, I rang every Australian franchisor that I could possibly find and asked if I could sit down and ask them a heap of questions. And to their credit, every single person said yes, every single one. But wow. uh, this guy in particular, like he stood at his desk and like stood up out of his chair and looked at me and went like, Tina, I know you you are not strong enough for this. I don't mean like strong enough in that, but you need to have a heart of gold and a spine of steel and you are bendy. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you don't have it. He has so much of it. You need to just take on and just let it wash over you. And you care too much what people think, and you think you're going to do it different. And his thing to me was, I thought, Everybody else was doing it wrong, and that I could do it better. And I won't have people that treat me that way because I'm going to have this beautiful ball of love, and we're all <laughs> going to share, and we're all going to be kind, and we're all going to do it that way. And I honestly, hand on heart, thought I would never have any problems because I thought they were all just cranky old men and I could do a better job. And yes, yep, no. <laughs> he was totally right
0: (laughs) yeah isn't that interesting because i I guess in a similar sort of vein i i I talked to i've talked to a lot of people doing startups and everything else and one of my most common things i end up saying to people is don't follow this you know don't believe that just because you've got a great idea that you can go and create a market for it or that you will fundamentally change people like find out what people are like and need and fill that gap Fill that need. Yeah, so it's, it, it, it's interesting. I, I <laughs> Hey, there's also the other side of things, right, where they say the only true people who really change the world are the ones who are naive enough to believe they can. So, you know, know, somewhere I in the middle here stuff is happening.
1: I <laughs> know. I still believe I did it pretty well. I think we did yeah. pretty good. I just, um, yeah, like you've got to pick the life that you want and some people love the battle and love the challenge of that. I wanted a life of much more ease than what franchising can give you.
0: And I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> the person who started that business and the person who's sitting in front of me today, are uh, clearly, core values, etc. Will be, will be there. But I, clearly, you'll be a different person through your experiences. Oh yeah, no doubt. Your vibe attracts your tribe to some degree. So I can imagine today, your tribe who come to you for advice must be just such a radically different.
1: Oh my God, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm actually fresh off a retreat. So I got um, my members and we had a retreat two weeks ago up in Noosa, and it was just like the most giant love fest. Yeah, people nice. with rainbows and blue, that it was just like everything I ever wanted it to be. But one of the core things that I think I, not a lot of people in my position with the business I have now do um, that came about from my previous experience was I never lock anyone into anything. So we have no contracts for what we do. People can leave at any time, which was something that was so important to me because in franchising, a lot of the problems came up because they either didn't like what they were doing and didn't want to do it anymore, but they couldn't actually change. They 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 couldn't leave, and if I didn't want them in anymore, I couldn't make them leave. So you're like stuck to get. It's like people wanting a divorce that have to live in the same house still. It's messy. Um. So yeah, now I live in this world where it's like, look, if you're loving it, and you get massive value, stay. If not, go. We'll part ways. Happy days. Like it's just easy.
0: Yeah, yeah. That makes that makes. Well, it sounds a lot more appealing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So okay, so so you've gone into the franchise the Begin Bright business, yeah, and you've run this from twenty eighteen for thirteen years.
1: Yeah, ran right? it till twenty sixteen.
0: Yeah, wow, yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. Okay, so from two thousand and four. Okay,
1: because <laughs>
0: yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, gotcha. So you started, a little, yeah, yeah. yeah so
1: two thousand and sixteen, I sold, and two thousand and eighteen was when I got to exit after the earnout.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, can you can you share with us what, what how big was the business at that point?
1: Yeah, so we had thirty five locations, multi millions a year, uh, one hundred and twenty staff, uh, and we were getting like offers to launch internationally. So I was looking at either wow. taking investment on and putting a management team in place with a CEO and corporatizing a little bit more, or exit.
0: Yeah, and well, we obviously know what you we chose, know what we chose. So yeah, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interestingly, uh, I mean. You know, we talk a lot on this show about working with the end in mind, you know, and and a lot of people when they first hear that sort of stuff, they think that means like, what do I want to sell for and how much? And I think that is certainly part of it. But uh, like I'm a massive believer that we're not actually born to do business. We're, We're born to live our life. And and that your business should be a vehicle for delivering you the life you want. Do you have any thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree that we're we're born to live the life that we want. I also think I was born to do business.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. There's
1: nothing else in my life. I think
0: it could work. But that's and a big part of all this, I think, is is working out what you want to do with your time. Yes. Right? Like, how do you want to spend your time? And and from what I'm hearing, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are you. I hear you love doing business. You love spending your time doing absolutely. those kind of things. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. I love the game of it. I love the the challenge. I love seeing just how much we can do, what we can achieve, what's possible, and the impact. Like there's nothing else that you can have with that. And I always wondered what it would be like on the other side. And, yeah, doing an earn out was really good in the way of showing me that, yeah, no, that is not the path for me ever. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, earnouts. It's it's almost like a bit of a dirty word, I think, with a lot of people. Um, you know, we've had people on this show who've who've hit their full earnouts. We had people who got completely nothing and everything in between. Yeah, yeah. T- talk me through a little bit about, like, because we're always, I guess, interested on this show in talking about these sort of transactions because there's such a pivotal point in people's journeys, and it's often an experience that people and have had no experience in. They've never, they're not trained for it. They've never done it before. You know, if you if you don't mind, I'd love to unpack it a bit. So, like, how did the buyer come about? You, you obviously, I real you shared with us before you 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 mentally kind of hit this point where you went, okay, it's time to get out. What did you do from there? What did the what did the process yeah, look like? Yeah, so
1: that was in the September, um, and then we listed in the March. So, talking about planning to exit, we had always managed the business from the point of view of knowing that it's going to be built to sell or that we're going to get investment and have corporate company coming in. So I didn't know which way we were going to go. But, I mean, we had to set the business up in a similar sort of matter. So our books were squeaky, squeaky clean. Like everything was proper. I wasn't like running my life through the business kind of thing. Everything was really good for outside eyes. So we were already prepared in that. I think the biggest um, thing for me was was mentally getting ready and getting over I felt like I was letting down my existing franchisees by leaving. Um and I was really frightened to tell them that I was going. Um, so that was a big that was a big part for me. But doing the earnout, like the whole negotiation part. So the hard part is, is you don't know what to look for in an earnout so much because no one else can tell you about their earnout because everybody is under such tight disclosure, <laughs> disclosure yeah, confidentiality course, agreements. So so much of when I was on earnout and I'd talk to other friends that had sold their businesses and I'd be like, you know this is happening and this is happening and they're like oh my god this happened to me too I'm like dude why did you not tell me they're like we can't it's confidential like well come on but that is the hard part is no one can actually tell you the truth
0: yeah and I think to some degree and and I don't know if you've seen this and people you've spoken to but sometimes I think two people don't Aren't just comfortable talking about it. Sometimes I think people get into the middle of stuff and they go, oh man, I kind of regret some of this and it's a bit awkward. And, you know, nobody wants to talk about things that they don't necessarily feel like they've gotten the ideal outcome oh, from. I would so love it's sort to of like, a. And, and also. Every <laughs> Yeah, it. Yeah, but cool. for
1: me, I think, um, so I sold through a traditional broker, uh, which was really, really effective. So our plan was to kind of take six months and see the deals that came across. Uh, and we put it out in the March and we had three offers within the first three weeks. And I took the best one.
0: Wow. Um, so. Excellent. And was was the buyer domestic? Were they international? International. Were they all- yeah, okay, they were okay. international.
1: So a New Zealand-based international education company that had businesses, they had across 15 different countries, so they were primed to kind of take my business to where I wanted it to go. So they were a great option with that um, and we did a split. So we got a certain amount of it up front and then a certain amount of it tied to performance with Earn Out. Okay. So, you know, it was it was pretty good from that that sort of point of view. I chose it both from a financial point of view and who was going to look after my vision, yeah. the best, and my franchisees, the best.
0: And and out of interest, in terms of, you know, the valuation methodology, was it like a multiple of EBITDA or was it a yeah, some other so method? Yeah,
1: we got a 4.7 times multiple.
0: Okay, fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. so we did I pretty well with
1: that. Usually franchises go a little, little higher than normal of the two to three times. But yeah, so I mean, everything when we were going to sell was all, every accountant or different person that we spoke to said a different thing. And in the end, I kind of came to the conclusion of, you know what, the business is worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And I'm going to see that. And then it's not just the dollars. Like there's so many different things tied to it as well. Yeah. So some of it, I could have got a lot more upfront, but not with the earnout, And I hedged my bets on the performance of the future for the earnout as well. Uh, so we had to take that into consideration. We had to take in. I actually wanted to stay on. I didn't want to sell and depart that day. I actually wanted to kind of hand it over in the in the nicest way possible and and make that transition seamless. So we had to take into consideration a whole lot of a whole lot of different things and then just, you know, see how the how the cookie crumbled. But the only advice that I would give to people looking to exit now is if you're signing an earnout, imagine the worst-case scenario. Like if everything actually went wrong, protect yourself for that in the contract. Even if you think no one could possibly ever do that, a lot of corporate companies are actually really practiced at not having to pay as much as what they had through different contractual loopholes.
0: Definitely. And and let's be honest frankly there's usually an executive who is incentivized to get to the not. actual total cost of the business down yes. yeah totally yes so okay so uh, so the earnouts you've got part part up cash up front part on the earnout H- how long did the earnout go for
1: uh, it was 2 years and i chucked a tantrum and left at 18 months
0: man okay I didn't there's make some interesting it. yeah okay <laughs> Okay, so before we get to that, because that's yeah. okay, people were going to want to hear about that. <laughs> what, other than the term of two years, what what else was the the earnout based on?
1: So it's basically all based on new franchise acquisitions, so sales.
0: Okay. Yes. Okay. So new new actual franchises coming on board. Yes. So was there was there any other thing like around revenue or margins or anything like that? Or was it nope. purely that number?
1: Yeah, purely that number. Um, so. I mean, now looking at it, I go, like, "What?" Like you could probably spot the problem with that straight away, right? (laughs) Like, how am I supposed to sell franchises to a business that I no longer run or have control over? Um, And so, Yeah. yeah, I had a lot of mechanisms that I used to use to sell franchises taken away and didn't necessarily love the direction and didn't want to sell people into it in the end.
0: Yeah, so, so not only do they take away the tools that you use to sell them, they take away that heart and soul, the passion you had for selling them because, you know, yeah. which is not a great recipe really, is it? No,
1: no. So I thought, you know what, it's, so mine was both time-based and reading, reaching those targets within that time. Um, and in the yeah. end I just kind of, you know, had a Jerry Maguire moment and
0: <laughs> left in a blaze of glory. Great way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so how did you? So, were you? Were there any milestones, or was it a kind of all yeah. or nothing earnout? Or yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We had, um, I think, four four tranche payments. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So, you, had you achieved any along the way? yeah, yeah. The, yeah, up to the yeah we got about halfway
1: yeah. there, so we didn't get all of it, but by no means do I you know it was a valuable learning experience and i'm still i still do very very well out of it um and the business is still going now and now it's what is it 5 years later now yeah, um yeah. so you know it wasn't it wasn't all bad but yeah i was very naive
0: mm-hmm. oh look you know and as we said before i mean most people when they do this it, it's a little bit like building a house, homeowners who, who self-build, you know, they they often only do it once and you sort of get to the end of all that and go, well, actually all the learnings, if you redid it now, you'd probably do it really, really well. Yeah. So um, I think it's the same. Most people generally when they sell a business, only sell one of them. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the business I have now, I can never build to sell. I would have, if I was to do it again, I wouldn't tie any earn out based on Financial performance. I would go. I'd do like a six month handover. Do the best I can, and then out. Take less money, but not have that pressure.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and fair call. You know, I think I've seen every conceivable kind of earnout you can imagine. Um, and 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 look, as I say, I've seen some go really well and succeed, and others fail and 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 fail for really untoward reasons. You know, it was very much designed to make people fail and. You know, and I think that's not really in the spirit of, of good business either. Um,
1: well, it depends on how you define good business.
0: Yeah, well, look, you know, and and, and, and to clarify, my my intention is I, <laughs> well, maybe this will explain it. Whenever when we're representing clients and we're helping them sell, I'm always saying to my clients, look, you're never going to get 100% of what you want. And if either party gets 100% of what they want, usually it's at the utter expense of the other party. Yes. And, and like... Do you want to do deals like that? I, like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love success. I I enjoy what money can do, and I enjoy all the wonderful things that come with success. But I, I don't want to do it at someone else's expense. You know, in in what I think is unfair. So, you know, yeah. So I think, yeah. You, look, you know, you can incentivize people to get the best possible kind of or the lowest possible multiple and however whatever metric they want to use. But as I say, if it's if it means being a bit underhanded about it. No thanks. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end
1: of the day, like you go, like, do people really want to feel that dirty? But I mean, one thing I've learned through seventeen years in business is some people just don't care.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this comes back to our, you know, another thing that I've, you know, people are always hearing me say is we're all on a bell curve, yeah. right? Yeah. Some people are extremely too kind, and they will burn themselves to not, you know, uh, uh, you know, just to to be kind to others and other people will burn anybody for themselves. Most of us sit in the middle where we say there's got to be a fair middle ground here where I can do things and not do it at your expense. (laughs) Yeah, totally. How did you feel? I mean, obviously when you sell your business, changes started to happen and changes that impacted you directly in terms of your own out and stuff like that. What was it like seeing other people, though, just generally make decisions About your baby. You
1: know the answer
0: to that. The same answer,
1: I reckon, ninety-nine percent of people who have sold their business <laughs> would have. Um, the it is hard. I never, I never treated my business like my baby. Um, I always, you know, knew what it was. It was, it was the vehicle that we had, and and yes, I treated it with a lot of tender love and care. Um, but, but I was under no kind of false illusions of of this was my world kind of thing. But the way that I operated it, like I still think that. I was the perfect franchise founder. I, I think that getting a franchise off the ground is a really hard thing to do, and it requires a lot of grit and a lot of a lot of that love and care and and sacrifice to get it up there. I was great at the founder. I was not great at the growth once it hit kind of that that fast growth. And I do think it requires someone a little bit more ruthless um, and and steely uh, to be able to to do that. But. I mean, I even, even now, like I am a a micromanaging control freak in business. And so when (laughs) people were making other decisions and a lot of them, like I wasn't even consulted on them, which was totally fine. Like I didn't need to be, but I'd see things happen and be like, or the worst part was every day I'd still have franchisees calling me going, this has happened, Tina, can you fix it? And I had zero control and they didn't quite realize how out of the loop I was in the end. Um, Like we had head office staff that were told like they're not allowed to share information with me anymore and do different things and so it was just this really um it was yucky it was just a yucky yucky sort of environment yeah and it was really hard to have to like stay <laughs> in there as well yeah yeah
0: and and and, and herein lies the lesson right i mean look at the end of the day lots of people who will hear this podcast will end up having to sell their business and may have some kind of an earnout out component yeah. to it and it's just you know that's that's the nature of of the game but. But, geez, the lesson here is to if you've got the time, if you've got the runway and the ability to look at your business and build it in a way that you are removed from the day-to-day operations, you know, then you can sell a business clean, you don't need to hang around Uh, if you can do that, clearly that's the the way to go. Definitely. Right? <laughs> well,
1: then you can earn. A, you can avoid a lot of the earn out that that I had to do, and we did yeah. look at doing that. But I do think that the cost of putting in a management team and me not running it and dropping down and doing that would would have cost more than me getting the earnout anyway. Even with the that loss loss that we that we made on there, and I knew that if I had like I was never going to step away from the day to day. No, <laughs> it was just never going to happen mm. for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's a that's a really good point you raised there because, you know, it's easy for me to make the comment of, hey, if you've got the time and runway, build your business in a way you don't. But but th- that sounds really simple when you say it like that. Mm. And, you know, I, I had a client of mine who actually approached us and, said, look well, this is precisely that I want to build the business and I want to do this and I want to grow it, but while I'm growing it, I want to grow myself out of it and all the sort of lovely things that we we often talk about. And um, when we sat down and we started talking about the plan to achieve that, the fact that it would take probably three years, there was a, a significant, Investment on on his behalf, both in time and and actually money, and 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 just the sheer energy that would need to go into driving the business and driving the change, and and we literally went through this process of mapping what that would look like. And at the end of it all, instead of what I expected coming into it that he'd be all energized and invigorated and ready for the battle, and he turned around and went, "I can't do this. I just can't do it. It's too much.
1: It's too much." And you've got to really let it go. As well, that I found in the end easier to let it go if it was no longer mine. While it was mine, I would still always, no matter who was running it, feel responsible ultimately for it.
0: Yeah, interesting. So you sold the business, you've done, now you, you were already overseas, right, when all this started happening? No,
1: no, didn't go overseas until I left, finished the earnout.
0: Okay. Okay. Sorry. Cause I, I got confused when you said people were contacting you while you were overseas. Oh, no, was no, that while you were on a holiday yeah. or something? <laughs> okay. 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 My goodness. Jeez. You know, you couldn't even take a holiday without people throwing mud at no. you. Huh? So you sold the business. How old were your boys at that stage?
1: Uh, oh, made me do maths. Eight and seven.
0: Eight and seven. Okay, cool. So you bundled up, and uh, wh- where was the first place you you landed in?
1: We went first to the Philippines. So we we started bougie. We we had overwater bungalows in the Philippines just to kick it off, right?
0: <laughs> cool, cool. Oh man, that sounds fabulous, and I love the Philippines. It's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, and so, what did you do with the boys? So you did you you know I, I did the same thing. We we landed in in Hong Kong and went through China and yeah. spent basically the better part of twelve months going through Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, oh, and up wow. and down all over Asia.
1: Wow. Yeah, you know, we spent four months in Asia. So we went Philippines, China, um, Thailand. We went to international school in Thailand for a bit. Mongolia was probably the hardest uh, in terms wow. of, of travel. That was that was rough. <laughs> that was really rough. <laughs> uh, and then we went all through Russia and like Eastern Europe and sailed through Croatia wow. and Africa and Madagascar and Morocco and oh my god, it was just amazing
0: wow wow you really did some mileage yeah
1: yeah and then over to america i think we got lazy well we we did fast travel and so it was like it was like a big we probably should have done it a little bit slower i would have got more mileage out of them because my younger son and i loved it like loved the fast pace and the travel and where to next and all of that my husband and my older son though by the time we got to the u.s so we've been going for seven eight months and then we got there and they they were getting tired they were like i want to go home i want normal life back again i want to have my routine back again my oldest son was like going into year six then he was about to go into year six like the next year and so he's going like i just want i just want a normal life Mama. i'm like how who have i raised you to be no such thing as normal um <laughs> but he, but he did and so yeah we cut it short we were still supposed to go all through south america and down to antarctica like we had amazing things planned um but they had had enough so we came back yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and look, and, and and that's, you know, my two boys are like chalk and cheese. They're so different to each other as well. And we we kind of took a slightly different route in that we, we went to China. We spent a month travelling all over China, which was kind of like a holiday because we had guided tours and, you know, it was all hol- hotels and vans and driven around and it was lovely. We, it was a lovely introduction. But then we went to Thailand and we literally had this beautiful condo down in a little coastal town. And we just plonked there for, for, in actual fact, three months. We we stayed in a townhouse after that, and and we homeschooled the kids. Um, We actually um, plugged into the Department of Education in New South Wales here, and because our kids had been enrolled in a school already, even just for one term, you can enrol them in the Sydney Distance Education School. And they would literally I post know, us that, anywhere in the world. That's what was bonkers
1: to me. I'm like, we can't do that. I don't know where you can post this. Thing. Like, I'm not going to be in the middle of Chechia getting yeah. like my booklets delivered <laughs> from the Department of Education. My gosh, aren't yeah, they
0: crazy? Yeah, but But, you know, in hindsight, I, I actually wouldn't do that again. <laughs> I mean, I would love the idea of plonking down. But the the homeschooling, like our kids were six and eight at the time. And in the end, well, there was a couple of realisations. One. We would take the entire week's worth of work and we found that if we sat down with a really dedicated focus period for about four hours, we could knock over a week's worth of work in four hours, which made me realise that primary school is a lot about just taking care of your kids and not a lot about having to do regimented learning, which makes sense, right? Kids can't absorb a lot of concepts at that stage. So at that point you sort of started going, well, why do we need to do this? Because there's an education in travelling and working and spending that much time with parents. And, you know, when my son could sit there at six years old and explain foreign exchange to me um, and how many baht he'd get for a dollar, I'm like, wow, you're not going to learn that in school. (laughs)
1: currency conversion and time conversion. Got your covered, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting kind of education. So, yeah, so I mean, I think that the need to formalise education on travelling was not necessary in hindsight for me, but this idea of just spending quality time together and having conversations, like, gosh, like that's yes. invaluable. Yeah,
1: it was, yeah, all things fabulous. And made even more so now, right, by the pandemic and going how lucky we were to be able to get that piece of time.
0: Totally, Totally. And hey, look you're doing things up in Noosa and uh, groups with you, but you're threading the needle here on uh, lockdowns as well. So well done on that. I know.
1: (laughs) I'm about to go on book launch tour. So I'm hoping that everything opens and we can go away.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Where does all this lead? You, You mentioned mastermind groups, you know, tell us a bit more about that and how you, who you help and how you do that.
1: Yeah. So after I sold the business, a lot of people were asking for coaching um, because they wanted to build and sell their businesses. So that was my way of kind of staying connected because I was 33 when I finished the earn out and too young to retire. So I was going, I'll do this until I figure out what my next business is going to be like my next real business kind of thing. Um, and then when we were in Koh Lanta in Thailand was when I started our first online course and it went off. And I could not believe it. That after working so hard for every dollar (laughs) that there was something that was so leveraged and scalable and I was like, what? Like you hear about these things and you're like, bullshit, no, I don't believe it. (laughs) Like I just thought it was such a crock and I was going, I'm from the world of education and it's exactly the same. It's just online education but done right, not done in the traditional sense like we're used to from universities with boring-ass lecturers. And so... (laughs) (laughs) I was able to like reach a lot of people through online education and that has grown and grown and grown. And so now I'm trying to get as many business people as possible to package their expertise that they've acquired into an online product so that they can get the revenue, make the impact and have that additional stream of income into their service-based business. Because with service-based, like we all know all too well, the only way to grow it is either to add more staff or work more hours, neither of which is all of that much fun. Um, so it's a way to get what you want and and kind of it's a win-win scenario with that. So I've just released uh, my second book, uh, which is called Million Dollar Micro Business, which is how to package your expertise uh, into an online product. And I have never had so much fun in business as what I'm having now. It's just the best.
0: That is brilliant. And thank you for the book, by the way. I yeah, will be you're reading welcome. it. Yeah, uh- you're I'm, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. How can people reach out to you? Um, you know, is it LinkedIn into your website? What, what What's yeah, the best way? Yeah, so
1: I've built my whole business on personal brand, so it should be really, really easy to find. Um, but if you're looking to do online course stuff, you can get the book anywhere, any bookstores, Booktopia, Amazon, and get bonuses at milliondollarmicrobusiness.com.
0: milliondollarmicrobusiness.com. com. Yeah. Okay, look, we're going to put all the, the links into the show notes. So for anyone who's hearing this and you'd like to follow Tina, can people follow you on LinkedIn or anything? Do you do any of that stuff? LinkedIn,
1: I'm on there but not a lot. Instagram is my jam. Um, So I'm Tina underscore Tower on Instagram. Yeah. I will find you on LinkedIn. It just may take me a month to get back to a message.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All good, all good. Well, that's it. Instagram and the website, the links will be in the notes. And, uh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your time thank and you. you sharing your story. I, I love it. I just it's love nice it. And to I go love back what you're doing now. You're a- <laughs> yeah, well, there's so many lessons to be learned. And you're clearly a lovely person. And I just know that th- your story will resonate with so many people. So thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Simon.
0: The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy Grow Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy Grow Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.